morning, everyone. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters went to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come, from, <clears throat> come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Thank you, Ivan. Past possible is what we want to talk about this morning. Lazarus was past possible. He was dead. He wasn't dead for a minute or an hour. He'd been dead for four days. There was a belief back then that you could be resuscitated after being dead as much as three days. Highly improbable, but they believed it was possible. But once you got to day number four, you had passed possible. You were now passing impossible. It was done. It was over. You were hopeless. You were in a state of hopelessness. There was nothing that could be done for you. Can you identify in any way with Lazarus and the sisters, Mary and Martha? Is there anything in your life that you have passed possible on? You've worked for it. You've prayed for it. You've fasted for it. You've hoped for it, but you've passed possible. You thought, definitely by this time in my life. Remember, so we're on a timeline thing with Lazarus. Jesus, come now. Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. You need to show up now. And Jesus doesn't show up. And you thought, hey, by this time in my life, you know, by the time I reached 25, by the time I reached 30, by the time I reached 35, you had some date in mind, by this time, I will be married. By this time, I will be pregnant. My kids will be X years old. By this time, I will be free. I'll be debt-free or I'll be addiction-free, or I'll be healed by this time, I'll be healthy, I'll be whole, my family, or I'll have finally have gotten over all the wounds of my past, and it's all going to happen by X time that we put in our minds that it needs to happen. And that time came, and whoo, it went. See you later. It's gone. You've passed. Possible. This is where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are. They have passed it by. What are they going to do now? Very, very, one of the most interesting to me verses in all the scripture is in verse number three here of John chapter 11. Jesus, the one you love is sick. And then it says, so he stayed where he was. Basically, it says, so he stayed where he was until he was dead, till Lazarus 
was dead. Does that make sense to you? What is, what is the natural human reaction when somebody you love is in trouble? What is your natural human reaction? This is a paradox here. The natural human reaction is to run and to help as quickly as possible. We were, years ago, we were on vacation at a beach, my wife and I and, and, and the kids, and out on the ocean, it was kind of a calm ocean, and out, we were out a little ways, and they had a little platform where you could climb up on the platform and jump off the platform into the water. And so we're out there, and we've got the two kids and Krista, and we have the mask on because the water was clear. And I just said to her as they're climbing up the ladder, as the kids are climbing up the ladder, and Krista's right in front of me, I said, hey, Krista, don't panic. I think I see a shark. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, our daughter was on the ladder climbing up to get on the platform. And immediately, Krista, hand on butt, launch just launches her straight up to the platform and she's just running up she gets up there and she just tackles both kids and makes them lie flat right on the ground now i'm in the water the whole time watching this because for her to get up that quickly she had to kick me in the head in the face and so that's how much she loves me i'm down there with the shark but she's, she's quickly protecting the kids. The, the kids are safe. And then she looked up, and right there on the, on the shore, right at the, at the break, she sees a mom and a couple more kids, and she starts screaming, Get out! There's a shark! Get out! And she's got the kids in headlocks, get, you know what I'm saying, on the platform. And this was the, this was the greatest thing. There was a couple. They were probably in their late 70s, I'm imagining, or early 80s, and they had the little um, the noodle thing with the pool, right? You know what I'm saying? The little noodle. But they were sitting on it like they were sitting on a horse. So the noodle was here in front, and it was here and back, and they were just in like this much water, and they were just kind of galloping along like this. Krista yells, shark! It just shark! It was like the Kentucky Derby. They said, boom, 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 off the, off the land. And I'm watching this from the water the entire time, because nobody launched me up. But that's, see, that's the natural human reaction. That's an, the natural human reaction is to run to somebody that you love, that you love, and, you got, and so what we see here is this doesn't make sense. It's so clear from the scripture three times in John chapter 11. It's really clear. Jesus loved them. Jesus, over and over, it says this, that Jesus loved them. And we need to take notice of that. We're going to come back to that later. Uh, a survey was done not too many years ago. And the question was this. If you could ask God one question, one question to God, what would the question be? Number one response. What do you think it was? Why is there suffering in the world? Number one response. Why is there suffering in the world? Very interesting. This, the why question, because that's what happens when suffering hits. It's like many people, why? Same question Jesus asked on the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross, he's suffering. What does he say? My God, my God, why? It's the question we ask. It's the question, that just strikes me as interesting. Uh, we talked about suffering last week, and we couldn't get enough of it, so let's talk about it again this week, okay? Uh, let me just, as a disclaimer, say again what I said last week. Very complicated issue. There is no way I'm even going to scratch the surface. You have all kinds of things you're facing that this simple little you know, I was putting together this message, and it hit me this morning. Wow, what is this kind of a, a mess of thoughts here? Because suffering is so complicated. So we're, we're just going to talk about a couple things in general about suffering and then some things specific to the case of Lazarus, okay? So let's pray because we really need God's help to get through this whole thing about suffering. Uh, Heavenly Father, 
we need your help. Amen. Okay, here we go. Hey. First thing I'd like you to fill in is this, and this is this. This will just make sense. You don't have to be, believe in Jesus. You don't have to necessarily believe in God to see this reality. But suffering refines us. Could you put that down? Suffering refines us, and this is what the Bible tells us. It refines us. Isaiah forty-eight ten. It's a, see God speaking. See, I have refined you. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. What does refining do? So we're refined through suffering. We go through a tough time, refining. What does refining do? Refining kind of improves the quality of gold or silver, right? So isn't this true? Isn't it people who've been through tough times that they're like high quality people, right? Isn't there a depth of quality about a person who's experienced difficult times? Isn't that so true? Suffering refines us makes us a real quality person. Second thing is this, suffering matures us. It matures us. Look at this James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. So, right here it comes, so that, so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. We grow up real quick when we have to suffer. We grow up real quick when we go through a very difficult time. No, that doesn't mean that we're like, oh yeah, bring the suffering on. Okay, I just, you know, we don't wish that that person's really immature. God, make them suffer. This is not saying that we do anything like that. But the reality is this world is filled with suffering and when we experience suffering, it just really grows up. Look, when somebody's been shielded from suffering or when somebody has uh, been shielded from no, like when you don't let somebody hear the words no, are you here? I, I remember um, when that whole thing came down, that uh, PTL club, that Jim Baker back in the late 80s, what was said about him was he, did, he had nothing but yes people around him. And I remember seeing him like on interviews. I thought, he is so immature. I just thought, he is so immature. And then it made sense. He'd been shielded from suffering. He'd been shielded from, from this very wonderful word called no. Right? If you don't want your kids to ever mature and grow up, just tell them yes all the time. But when somebody's been shielded and somebody's been spoiled, right? but suffering matures us. It really grows us up. Third thing is this. Suffering deepens us. Job, a person who experienced tremendous suffering, at the end of the book, last chapter, Job 42.5, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And he's not just talking about what we talked about last week, about the man born blind, that Jesus put suffering on his eyes so that he could actually see he could see God. He could understand. He's talking about something even greater than that. He's talking about a depth of understanding. There's a deepening that goes on here. When, when a person experiences suffering, they become a deeper person. You know this because you've talked to people like that. You've talked to people who are very shallow, haven't you? You've met people who are very surface and very shallow. Maybe, maybe it's because they were catered to a lot of their life or something. But somebody who has a real depth to them usually is a person who's experienced a lot of difficulty and tragedy in their life. All right? Next thing. Suffering equips us. 
Quips. Second Corinthians chapter one in the context of suffering here. Listen to these verses. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now notice this. Ready for this? Who comforts us in all of our troubles. And now here comes the word so that you find those two words all over the place in the Bible. So that there's a reason. There's a reason for this. So that we can comfort those in trouble. Anytime uh, I come across somebody comes to me and says, you know what, I'm experiencing a financial crisis or I'm, I'm addicted to something. One of the first things other than, you know, I pray for them and try to encourage them, but I try to match them up with somebody else who has experienced the exact same thing that they're experiencing right then and there. Right. That's what I try to do. And so this is what's being said. It helps to equip. So you've experienced something in your life, a troubled marriage. You're going to be able to help somebody who is experiencing a troubled marriage right now. You've suffered from addiction, an addiction. You're going to be able to help somebody who suffered from an addiction. So it equips us to do that. A number of years ago, this church reached out to a family, family, not even from this local area. They were from Percival, Virginia. But we came in contact with them, and they had a son. He was about a year old, and he was dying. He was in hospice right up here in Arlington, hospice. And I, I, I remember we were praying for them and going and everything we could do. And I remember saying to, to Big Russ, you all know Big Russ at the, at the front door. I said to Big Russ, because I knew that Big Russ had, uh, had, had lost a child when, he, when, when the child was three years old. I said, Russ, can you just go by? Well, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to say to them. I said, I just want you to go. Just walk into the room. Just go there. So he went, and for those who don't know, Big Russ is my father-in-law. So I said, after I said, how'd it go? He said, it went terrible. <laughs> I said, well, can you be a little more, you know, can you clarify that a little bit more for me? It was terrible. I didn't have anything to say to them. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. But you know what they said to me, what the family said to me? They said, first time I saw them after, they said, thank you so much for sending Big Russ by. It meant so much to us. He ministered to us so much. You know why? Because he had experienced the same thing they had been through. There's some things that you've been through. Terrible, terrible, it's terrible. Nobody's wishing that on you. But boy, you can sure help somebody else who's going through it right now. You can help them like nobody else can help them. Suffering equips us, and that is for sure. One of the things that we would like to do at the end of this sermon service is we have a prayer wall over here. You see the little sign, the prayer? So I asked the prayer team, I said, could we do this? There are some, you know, pretty big needs that exist in, in this community. And some of the most popular, popular is not a good word to use, but let's use it. Some of the most popular needs are, you know, troubled marriages, health problems, infertility, financial issues, struggling with some kind of bondage, if you call it an addiction, if you want, or the pain of being single. And so I said, could you arrange on the prayer team to have people who have experienced all these things? so that we would have somebody over here this morning that we could match you up with. So if you have some particular need, we're going to have somebody over here is going to say, okay, is there some specific thing you want prayed for? And we're going to have you prayed for by somebody who's been down that road already before you. There's power in that. And this is what we're going to do at the end of sermon right over here. So I just want you to remember that. All right, I got one final point. It's kind of a long point, but it's still, it's still the final point, which is a good thing, right? There's hope. All right. Suffering clarifies my life. Suffering bring, brings clarity to my life, which is a beautiful thing. We need clarity because, uh, you know, life is so much about a fog and an illusion much of the time. Listen to this verse. 
The 119th Psalm says this, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was a affliction, suffering brings clarity to my life. Without suffering, it's easy for my priorities to get messed up or confused, isn't it? Very easy for that to take place. Uh, but that confusion tends to clear, it tends to clear with suffering. So when suffering hits, like all of a sudden suffering hits, like the tornado hits out in Oklahoma, you know, and before the, before the tornado hits, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what I want to do in this life and all this kind of stuff like this, and I'm, maybe my priorities are out of whack, and I'm not, I'm not really focused on my relationship with God or family or friends. And then what happens the moment the tornado hits? It's like, whoa, 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 let's get this thing straight. This is all about what really matters most is my relationship with God and my relationship with those I love. Doesn't that immediately what takes place? And people stand in the wreckage of their home. It's all gone. But at least, at least I have my loved one. Do you notice that? Do you see that? How it brings clarity quickly. Suffering has an incredible way of bringing clarity. I have some scripture verses I want to run by you here real quick. They're just interesting. Right? First Chronicles 29:15. Our days on earth are like a shadow. They're without hope. So when we're, when we're not experiencing suffering, when we're, we're like somehow we're shielded from that and we haven't experienced it, it's like, oh man, this is just going to go on forever. I love this. And just, oh God, please don't come back quickly or anything because this life is just so awesome. And all of a sudden, that fantasy ends. And we're like, whoa, this world is filled with hopelessness, and I need to cling to God. Job 9.25, again, Job experienced so much suffering in his life. He says, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Suffering clarifies things for me. Think about this, control. One of the first things that we feel when suffering hits us is all of a sudden we feel like we're losing control. We're, we want so badly to... Make sure everything is controlled and planned and all this kind of stuff. And the moment suffering hits, it's like one of the things that just kind of discombobulates us is we think, oh my gosh, I don't have any control. And tremendous fear sets in. Look, look what it says here, James 4.14. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. See, that's not a good, I don't like that. I really want to know not only what's happening tomorrow, I would like to know what's going to happen 25 years from now. You know what I'm saying? I really want to have my whole retirement figured out 30 years. You know what I'm saying? I want it locked down. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. I have no control. Before suffering hits, I'm under this grand illusion that somehow I'm controlling something. And when suffering hits, all of a sudden I realize I'm actually controlling nothing. Nothing. We can't control those tornadoes out there, right? You can't control that. See the Time Magazine piece? 16 minutes on the cover. That's how much time you have. 16 minutes before all hell breaks loose in your neighborhood. That's what it was about. You got 16 minutes before the siren goes off on this deadly tornado. We don't control anything. We think we do until suffering hits. And all of a sudden we realize, oh my gosh, I don't control a thing. Last one. 2 Corinthians 1.9. Indeed... We felt we had received the sentence of death. So this whole thing is about suffering in 2 Corinthians. But this happened. 
that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So we don't have control. And when we are not going through suffering, a lot of times we just, we, we think that somehow we can control things and our grip on this world and the things that we want from this world and the priorities. We got this really strong grip on it. All of a sudden suffering hits and we say, oh my goodness, this world isn't all of it that I'd hoped it would be. There must be something better. I need to rearrange my priorities. We rely on ourselves. So let's go back to Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now listen, I want to tell God, hey, God, listen, you don't need to afflict me. I'm just going to cling to you, and I'm never going to go astray from you. You, you and me, God, we're just going to be great buddies. There's going to be no separation between you and me. Just don't send the affliction my way. But the reality is, in a, in a world... In a world where there's like zero suffering, there's zero problems, there's zero, all that stuff. We're just living it. What do we do? We go astray. We just do. No matter how much we think that we're just going to cling to God, the reality is, is that the suffering brings us back to God. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, I want to show you some pictures. Can you throw those pictures of these beautiful boats up here so it's summertime and people are thinking about going cruise go on a cruise look at that boat all right the, these cruise ships are like floating palaces they're like paradise right let's see another let's show us another shot look at all this stuff you got the guy on the you got the putting green for the golfers there and the basketball court and a rock climbing wall and this guy on the little surfboard on but show us another what else do we have Oh, the kids can have a fun time. I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic. You can do, if you like that, um, what do we call that? Yes, thank you. Okay, and uh, is there any more? Is that it? Look at, so, look at, was that the last one? Was that the last one? Thank you. Uh, these, these ships, who would ever want to get, now maybe you say, but John, I don't want to be on a ship with 5,000 people. All right, okay, whatever. Let's just say you're on a ship and it's just like you and somebody you really like. Okay, and you're on that ship. Who wants to get off a floating paradise? There's great food and great service and great scenery. It is awesome. And it's kind of like this life. We live under this illusion that this life is like that. It's going to be like that because there's no suffering there. There's no suffering. All right, I want to show you a video clip real quick. Let's run a video clip. Let's see what happens. Okay, so, you know, if you were thinking about taking a cruise this summer, sorry. Uh, Look, they're running to get off of paradise. What to, what, why? Why? Because raw sewage was seeping through every floor of that ship. It was terrible. They didn't have power, they didn't have electricity, four days adrift without food. People were becoming cannibals, right? So <laughs> what I'm saying is when suffering hits, all of a sudden everything gets clarified, doesn't it? About what's really important. And instead of saying, oh man, I love this, I want to stay on this ship, it's like running to get off the ship. Look. You know the spiritual, swing low, sweet chariot, coming to take me home. You don't write that if you're living in paradise. You write that, and God becomes a priority in your life because of suffering. Nobody wishes that suffering on anybody. It's a terrible thing. But something about suffering makes things very, very clear in our lives. Very clear. So, quick challenge as I end out this message, all right? Jesus says in verse number 26, 
He's talking to Martha. He has not raised Lazarus from the dead yet. They're having a very deep conversation. Jesus challenges her with something that I'd like to challenge you with this morning. He says, I am the resurrection and life. And this is really important. He says, I. A lot of personal pronouns here in Jesus' statements in the Bible, I. So what he's saying to her is, you can't believe this is information. A lot of us here this morning, we believe stuff, and it's just information. You know where things become transformational? is when they change from being information to becoming personal to me. So he's saying, do you believe that I am to you? You're not, not I just resurrect things. No, but I'm going to resurrect things in your life. Personal pronoun. I. You can do that in your life. Okay? You finalize it by saying, do you believe this? And there's my challenge to you this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of things that are very specific to this story and ask you, do you believe these things? Do you believe these things? And why it's so important is this. We don't have to have a lot of belief in Jesus, God, the Bible, to know that suffering refines us and matures us and deepens us and equips us. Okay, we don't. But we do have to believe in the personal aspects that I'm going to talk about here in the next few moments. In order to keep ourselves from becoming bitter so that we can become better. You think about Pharaoh from the Old Testament, the great story of Pharaoh. God comes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, we're going to have a lot of suffering bust out here. Now, you can either choose to do things my way and to believe in me and to follow me, or you can become bitter. And what does the Bible say? After every one of those plagues, after those ten steps of suffering, Pharaoh kept saying, harden, 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 until he made some incredibly unwise decisions, actually self-destroyed. Self-destroyed. Isn't that the case with us? So we can become really bitter to go towards God in the suffering because we choose not to believe, and I know it's very hard. I'm not making light of this. Or we can become soft-hearted before God and allow God to do something that he wants to do in our lives in the midst of the suffering. So I have four things I'd like to suggest to you from this story. Number one, you have to believe this, that your suffering is not pointless. There's no fill-in-the-blank for you. If you want to write this down, it's of your own accord. Okay? You have to believe. Do you believe that, that your suffering is not pointless? One of the first things I think when I'm going through, I look at, I look at Lazarus and I say, ah, easy. Got a whole story right there. There's a point to it, okay? The problem is you don't have your story in the Bible. There's not a book of John Sly in the Bible where I could read my whole story. I mean, it's cool, Lazarus. I mean, it only takes me like two minutes to read his whole story, and I see there's a point to it. You and I can't do that. Do you believe there's a point? Look, look. I am not saying that God is sending you the suffering. It does, not, it does not say here that God killed Lazarus. What I am suggesting to you this morning is this. In the midst of your suffering, can you believe that God can make a good point out of it? That's the challenge. That's the challenge. Jesus says there's always this divine so that. He says, he is suffering so that... I can display my glory. It says the same thing with a man born blind last week. So that, do you believe there's a so that to the suffering in your life? There's your first challenge, number one. Number two, number two, really important. Let's talk about love. Your suffering 
does not mean that God does not love you. Three times in this chapter alone, we are told clearly that Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And here it is. The people Jesus loves suffer. The people Jesus loves suffer. Do you believe that? Because when we go through suffering, think God's picking on me. God's punishing me. Why is God doing this to me? He doesn't love me. This person over here who is not suffering, God loves them. He doesn't love me. And what this story makes so clear, clarity, right? So clear is that Jesus loved them. He loved them, and yet they suffered. Some of us this morning are suffering deeply. There's a lot of questions about that suffering, but here's one that, at least from this story, that you can cross off your list and say, okay, I'm done with that. And the question is, does God love me? Okay, cross that off. Yes, he does love you. Your suffering has nothing to do with that. The people Jesus loves suffer. Number three, your suffering does not mean that God does not care about you, that he's apathetic or indifferent. God is not some mean like little boy with a magnifying glass with the sun on the ants. You know what I'm saying? He's not there, ooh, sorry. He's not doing this. He's not apathetic about that. You, we worry, God, don't you hear me? Don't you see me? Don't you care? You're just like, are you up there just saying, well, I have a point to all this. I know it's really bad right now, but there is a point. Is that the way God's treating us? Does it bother God that we're suffering? Does it bother God that we're hurting? Does it bother God that we're ill? Does it bother God that our families are falling apart? Does it bother God that I'm single? Does it bother God that I'm infertile? Does it bother God? This story is awesome. Jesus Christ, think about this, everybody. Now, he knows that he's going to bring Lazarus out of that tomb. He knows this, and yet he walks up to that tomb. Where is he? He's over here. Take him over here. He walks up to the tomb. And then what are we told? Shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. He knows he should have walked up. Again, this is wrong. It's like a paradox. He should walk up saying, watch this, everybody. But he doesn't do that. The word weep here, also very important. This is not a normal word. It means that he was coming unglued weeping. He was unconsolably crying, shaking. He was shaking, crying. That's the depth of the word for weep here. God is hurting so much to think about all that you have experienced, just like God was hurting so much to think about all that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are experiencing. Can you believe that this morning? Can you believe that there's a point to your suffering? Can you believe that God loves you even though you're suffering? Can you believe that God is not apathetic about your suffering? Final point is this. Suffering is filled with surprises. Can you believe that? For you, I'm not talking, again, this is, this is personal. This is not abstract. This is personal. I have no problem believing, oh, yeah, there's a point to your suffering. I find it easy to be encouraged about your life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Me having hope for you is easy for me. Me having hope for me is really hard, particularly in my suffering. There's no point. God doesn't love me. He hates me. He could care less. It's not going anywhere. I'm asking you, do you believe this, that there's a surprise for you in the midst of your suffering? Look, Mary, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when they sent for Jesus, come help, Lazarus is very sick. They had a way that they thought this whole thing would turn out. 
It didn't turn out the way they thought it was going to. It was a complete surprise. They thought Jesus would show up, he'd get healed, everything. They didn't think about him dying. Like, when he did die, they thought, well, okay, Jesus will show up day one, day two. Okay, my, now, oh my goodness, he's in the tomb, and we've rolled the stone, and now it's over. Surprise! We're going to do something totally unexpected that you had never... Totally unexpected. Are you ready for a surprise from God? Can you believe that God will do something totally unexpected? I'm going to conclude this. Just a couple brief stories from my life, um, from my own suffering. I remember I was very young. I was in my early 20s. And I was on staff at a church in my early 20s. And uh, the pastor, the head pastor, was going to make a decision. It was a really big decision about the church, about the direction of the church. And he took me out to lunch one day, just this young kid, who knew nothing, and he looked at me across the table and says, I'm going to do this. What do you think about it? Now, when he said that, I thought that he really wanted me to give him an answer. That's foolish. I was naive. He didn't want an answer. He just wanted me to say, whatever you say is good. So I, he was so sincere that I said, well, uh, I don't think it's a good idea, and I gave him the reasons why. He immediately got very, very angry. In actuality, I thought it was an extremely foolish decision, though I did not say that to him. But anyway, I told him, didn't want a good decision. He got very angry. And uh, I remember about three or four weeks after that, he stormed into my office and he fired me. Boom. Now, that was unexpected. <laughs> I was a total surprise. And I remember when that happened. I remember the, like the next day saying to the secretary of the church, it's going to be okay. This is how this whole thing is going to turn out because it's clear I was so confident. It's clear that he's made a bad decision, and it's going to cost the church. It's wrong. God's going to correct this. God's going to swoop in, right, and, and heal this situation before it goes into the tomb, right? That was my thought. Well, uh, I moved out of that office and never went back. So uh, that didn't work out quite the way I thought it would. But God had something better. He had a surprise for me. He had a surprise for me. Fast forward 13 years ago. I was on staff at a church again, and I thought I would be at that church for the rest of my life. Loved it there, enjoyed it there, and then all of a sudden, all that came to an end. All of it came to an end. And I couldn't understand what is, how could this be happening? And yet God did it again. Now, I had my own ways I thought it would come to an end, just like I did 20-some years ago. And God did it again. He totally surprised me. And what he surprised me with was something so much better. Because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't all be here this morning. How about you? I mean, I can kind of make light of some of the stuff that I've been through. But let me tell you what, when I was going through it, it wasn't funny. It was hurtful. It was rip your heart out painful, some of the stuff I went through. Could I believe in the midst? There's the challenge to me. Could I believe there was a point? Could I believe that I could be surprised? Can you believe? Can you believe you're here hurting this morning about some issue? Can you believe? Can you believe that God can surprise you? There's a point to it, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's not sitting up there apathetic. Can you believe that? That's the challenge. I want to remind you, our prayer team has thought about this, prayed about this. They want to match you up. 
if anybody wants prayer. Music team's going to come up, and um, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to close it out. This issue of suffering, everybody, this makes me so nervous talking about suffering. I get nervous talking about a lot of stuff up here, but here is one of the things I get really nervous about because some of you have got some deep stuff. So I know I've just scratched the surface. But I hope that you can maybe rise to this challenge that Jesus puts before you this morning. Say, I believe. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you. And I'm going to get better, not bitter, as a result of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just now want to lift up all all of us in this room that at this moment, there are some of us at this very moment are deeply troubled by some suffering in our lives. And Father, I just want to ask that you would console our hurting hearts and that you would help us in the midst of this where we feel kind of empty and drained of, drained of energy to be able to rise to the occasion. Would you help us in this moment, this very moment even, to rise to this challenge of this occasion and say, Jesus, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to put my faith and my belief in you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.